Welcome to The People's Lawyer, a podcast from the National Association of Attorneys General, the nonpartisan organization representing America's attorneys general. Attorneys general have a unique role as defenders of the public interest and often work collectively on nonpartisan issues that have a wide impact on people's daily lives. In our second season, we've invited attorneys general from different political parties to discuss how they work together in a bipartisan way to serve their constituents and protect the rule of law. My name is Allison Gilmore, and I'm Chief Communications Officer at the National Association of Attorneys General. In this episode, Connecticut Attorney General William Tong and Nebraska Attorney General Doug Peterson discuss how attorneys general work to address the rising costs of health care. Uh, Generals, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really honored to have you both on the podcast, and we have a couple topics we want to talk about with you. Um, let me start first with General Peterson. Um, you hosted a NAG regional meeting back in, I think, 2019, where, and you focused on the impact attorneys general can have on healthcare, and particularly healthcare costs. Um, can you talk about why you wanted to call attention to this issue? Yeah, Allison, the, um, the thought process was that as attorneys general, we've been engaged over a period of time with some important consumer protection issues. What really struck me was the area where more consumers are impacted in probably any other area is in healthcare. We have the Volkswagen settlement. Well, only so many people, you know, have Volkswagens who are affected by representations on emissions. Uh, but almost everyone I know of is impacted by healthcare and healthcare cost. And there are enough things going on in the area of healthcare cost that they continue to rise. I could think of myself in private practice, how much I was paying in uh, a family policy and also thinking how much I was paying in deductibles. What did I really get if I had a $5,000 deductible? And I thought if that's affecting me in a, in a private law practice, how much more is it affecting some other people? And so we tried to start looking into what influences consumer protection uh, uh, divisions could have on this area. And so we brought everyone together to that conference in Omaha and it had some really interesting information on what steps we could possibly take. Thank you for sharing about that. Yeah. And so we want to talk a little bit more about healthcare um, today on the episode. So um, Attorney General Tong, maybe you can talk about um, the bipartisan coalition of attorneys general that you led in 2019, um, particularly an antitrust lawsuit against Teva Pharmaceuticals and um, others of the nation's largest generic drug manufacturers. What can you tell us about the case and why you think that issue is so important? Thank you, Allison, and uh, thank you, General Peterson. Um, uh, it's always fun for me to be with General Peterson because my grand uncle, my grandmother's brother, was a particle physics professor at the University of Nebraska. And I grew up having a grand uncle in Nebraska, which I think makes me somehow kind of an honorary Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you for asking that question. And I think to pick up on what General Peterson said, you know, in my office, we talk a lot about um, how families in Connecticut and Nebraska and across the country are squeezed every single day by the cost of utilities, the costs in your car payments, right? The cost of clothing and, and feeding and educating your children. And one of the biggest pressures, one of the most powerful forces that squeezes us every single day is the cost of healthcare. And, and I think what really, what really perplexes me and General Peterson and so many other Americans is why are prescription drug prices so high? And, you know, if we move to a generic drug 
system, or if we open the generic drug market in the 80s, wasn't that supposed to drive prices down? That once drugs come off patent, uh, aren't you supposed to have this robust competition that drives prices down? And so why are the, the prices of generic drugs, which account for 90% of the prescriptions in our country, why are those prices going up? And so actually I didn't start this, uh, General Peterson was part of the effort with General Jepson, who was my predecessor. And, and George, you know, dared to ask that question, what the heck is going on? And they started with um, a heart drug called Dijoxin, sent out some civil investigative demands, you know, didn't know what they'd get. And they started pulling that thread, which is what we do in these consumer protection cases and antitrust cases. And, and they discovered that the generic drug industry uh, is engaged in widespread overt price fixing um, and um, unlawful market allocation where they're splitting up the market amongst themselves uh, unlawfully and, and they're getting together to set prices and they're doing it in a, a brazen and highly illegal way, direct communications. Um, we have phone records and emails. Now we, we have a diary that we call the Diary of Collusion, where one of the principal players literally recorded uh, his movements in colluding with others. And what we've discovered is um, the generic drug industry is, you know, in our view, the largest corporate cartel in history. And, and the reason why prices are so high is because the market is fixed and it's rigged. Uh, and, and that's why so many of us are part of this coalition. Um, there are three cases, three separate lawsuits, three different complaints. Um, one of them has 49 states, uh, territories, and the district. So it's almost everybody. Uh, and, and we're going hard after the generic drug industry for violating our state and, and federal antitrust laws so that we can um, we can stop them from price fixing and drive prices down the way the market was supposed to. General Peterson, anything you want to add about that case or others like it? Well, I, I really appreciate General Tong's leadership in this. Uh, it really is kind of uh, takes your breath away of how brazen they have been uh, in affecting cost. And what makes uh, a multi-state effort like this I think so effective is because um, it really allows us to do a thorough investigation and then move forward in a pretty unified front. I mean, this is, as, as William mentioned, this really covers every um, citizen that we represent uh, because it's such an important part of our daily lives of reasonable cost for pharmacy uh, uh, prescriptions. So, I, I think it's one of those clear examples where we can work in a bipartisan effort and be effective and do, you know, basically carry out our duty to the people we represent. Yeah, NAG is a big part of that, Doug. Um, one of the very first meetings that I attended, um, I think it was, I think it was the NAG meeting uh, in South Carolina right after I got elected and I walked in the big conference room where all of us meet. And, and George was still attorney general then, and um, we were giving an update on the case. And, and um, 
there are a lot of AGs in the room and a lot of staff. And um, this is how we, this is how we do our work, right? We, when we can safely get in a room together and, and really work through how we're going to prosecute these cases. And it wouldn't be possible if we didn't have NAG as a platform to make that happen. Jumping off on that, there's another um, bipartisan effort that you were involved in, an amicus brief um, for the U.S. Supreme Court supporting the authority of states to address the rising cost of prescriptions, but specifically related to pharmacy benefit managers. Um, Can you tell us more about that case and how this particular issue impacts the people of your state? Maybe General Peterson, can you kick that one off? Yeah, that was Arkansas had passed some legislation that was called Act 900. And um, they were basically trying to pass legislation that would control uh, the pricing that PBMs were doing with pharmacies. Uh, Also required uh, some reporting requirements uh, on cost uh, listings. And then they also wanted to put in an administrative hearing process uh, for pharmacies if they wanted to challenge what the PBM is willing to provide uh, for the cost of the pharmaceuticals. Um, what happened is that the Eighth Circuit, uh, the Eighth Circuit concluded that the law was preempted by ERISA. And that had always been kind of a discussion of how can law, how can states uh, address some of the real pricing concerns that we see and the practices that we see by PBMs because it affects not only consumers, it also affects the state's own Medicaid programs. And so the U.S. Supreme Court um, I think 46 states joined in on an amicus brief uh, saying that this was not an ERISA preemption type of case. And fortunately, we were able to get the court, the U.S. Supreme Court, to issue an opinion uh, this last December and basically found that in this particular case, the Arkansas law had enough separation uh, and did not reference ERISA. It was basically saying, hey, this is how PBMs have to operate as far as pricing operations and not specifically related to a actual ERISA plan. So it saw a separation there, a gap between any type of actual ERISA plans where they could argue preemption. And so I think what that has done is it's allowed states to address this very issue just the way Arkansas did. Uh, I think Arkansas put together a good blueprint of how to control PBMs. There's a lot of concern. Uh, It's not just this case that's significant for state AGs, but there are some investigations that are currently going on. I know Ohio's leading out. uh, And there's still several investigations where states are concerned about the pricing practices of PBMs. Uh, PBMs serve a purpose. I mean, they they go all the way back to when the, um, the unions created large health benefit plans and decide to, uh, health insurance plans and decide to expand into pharmaceutical uh, reimbursements. And it was a pretty difficult thing. So the PBMs kind of stepped in to show how best to manage that. But now they've become more consolidated and uh, have had a much greater control on pricing. So I think it's certainly a ripe area for these investigations and Fortunately, with that Supreme Court case, I think we have a little bit more flexibility that the PBMs can't just throw up and say the ERISA immunities or preemption applies. Um, And that, I think, gives us a little bit more room to work with. General Tong, anything to add on the the PBM issue? Yeah, apart from the the technical issues uh, around preemption and ERISA, um, 
this really speaks to the the critical role of state attorneys general and states. You know, um, Congress could act to regulate PBMs better and to hold them accountable so that they serve the public interest um, and that they don't, um, you know, frankly, make money off the backs of people who really need medicine in, in, in an unlawful or unfair way. But, you know, I think General Peterson and I both know that waiting for Congress is not always a good bet and you might be waiting a long time. And um, really the, 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 one of the best ways that's developed over the last generation to protect consumers and people who need access to medicine in our home states is for states to act and state attorneys general to act in the absence of federal action. And so this confirms that vital principle that gives us the ability that we're much more nimble, we can move much more quickly, and we can provide relief that's targeted to our jurisdictions. And I think that's why this case is so important. I think that I think that's a really important point because I think we're frustrated to know in some ways the influence that the lobbies have um, when it goes to DC. Uh, as William said, it, we can much better address the, the immediate needs in our state by our consumer protection authority. That's why it's important. Yeah, totally. And and I think the the fact that you all are able to work together across state lines also contributes to, to your ability to tackle these issues. Um, sticking with drug pricing, um, I want to talk a little bit about another coalition, a bipartisan coalition of attorneys general that recently wrote to the Department of Health and Human Services about the 340B drug pricing program. Um, can you explain what this program is and why the letter to HHS was something that the AGs decided to do together on a general tongue, maybe? Can you tackle that one? Yeah. So this is an area in which Congress did act. And a while ago, as a condition to participating in Medicaid and Medicare Part B, Congress required drug manufacturers to offer discounts uh, on, on drugs to um, certain public service uh, health providers, including public hospitals, community health centers, um, and other organizations serving indigent patients. And of course, that's in order to provide access and expand access to drugs and pharmaceuticals that they may otherwise have trouble accessing. And uh, um, this is the law. 340B is, uh, is a section of a federal statute, and it's pretty clear that this is a requirement. Uh, unfortunately, in recent years, um, a number of big companies, Eli Lilly, AstraZeneca, Novartis, Merck, United Therapeutics, they, they decided they were going to change, they were gonna interpret the statute the way they wanted to interpret it. And they were gonna hang conditions on, um, on giving these discounts. They, first wanted to require certain data be reported um, under the guise of, you know, trying to stop abuse of the program. Um, and, and, and then they started to pick apart how, for example, community health centers uh, provide these uh, drugs and medicines to um, their customers and clients. And, and, and they put up a bunch of technical requirements around that with the net effect that these companies stopped participating in the program and stopped providing the discounts. And this is another area in which we had to act in order to get relief uh, more quickly 
to people in our area. Um, I heard from community health centers in Connecticut, and that's what motivated me. And, and so we started reaching out again uh, through NAG and our relationships to other state AGs. Almost everybody's part of this. And, you know, this was another case where uh, many of my colleagues, AG colleagues were like, yeah, we're hearing the same thing. We're in the same boat. This makes a ton of sense. And so we got together and, and wrote to uh, HHS, put a lot of pressure, public and in um, um, direct pressure on HHS. And thankfully, uh, in December of last year, they issued an advisory opinion clarifying that the drug companies have to participate in this program and they can't, they can't make up a bunch of rules on their own to, to essentially accept themselves from the program. And this, again, this work, the PBM work, um, you know, our, our drug pricing case, this impacts people every day, you know, and, and it speaks directly to not just their economic well-being, but it's a matter of life and death, right? Getting access to medicine that they need. Yeah, one of the things that uh, it's interesting, I think both William and I had the same experience. I had about six uh, directors of their community health centers come and, you know, basically say we have no explanation of why they're doing this, but this is really impacting our ability to get these medications to low income people. And they, uh, they really have no basis for doing it, but we're, we're frustrated in, in responding to it. And so I think the, the letter uh, really let the uh, Health and Human Services know how important it was to us as AGs. And um, I think the letter went out December 14th of 2020, and that advisory opinion went out by December 30th, 2020, to address the matter. And, and I have heard back from some of those community center, uh, health center directors uh, appreciating what took place. But that does kind of go to that issue uh, that William had mentioned earlier about our ability to be uh, responsive. And this is a very important issue, those the work being done by our community health centers for our lower income people. One net effect of all that I'm fairly confident, and I think William joins me in this, is that one of the authors, primary author was Javier Becerra, and I think he used that on his resume to get his new job as director of health and services. And I haven't gotten a note from Javier yet. I don't know if you have, William. <laughs> I have it, I have it, but we're gonna, we're gonna remind him uh, where he came from. In uh, uh, you know, make sure that he's there fighting for consumers and 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 working with us on on these important initiatives. You know, what's really important, also, Allison, is um, you know what you just heard there is I heard from my local people. Doug heard from his local people. You know, if Nebraska had sent its own letter, you know, maybe he would have gotten a letter back. You know, if I'd send my own letter. Sure, you know, maybe the lobbyists for some of these companies would have called, you know, told us some whatever, some data, some information, try to put us off. But the fact that almost all of us got together, that was a wake up call to them. And that's why, as General Peterson said, we got some pretty quick response and pretty quick response from HHS. And so that's why it's so important that when we can, we do this on a, on a bipartisan basis and we get as many of us together as we can.
Yeah, actually, I just wanted to um, touch on that bipartisan work that I think has come up in many of your responses throughout this entire interview. And so maybe as we wrap up, I'd like just to hear about the relationships that you have with other attorneys general and, and how those relationships help you do your job for your own constituents. So you've talked about using the platform of the attorneys general and, and speaking out together, but does the bipartisan work and just the relationships that you've built with other AGs actually help you do your job better for your own constituents? I'd love to hear from both of you. So General Tong, do you want to kick it off? It makes a huge difference. And I think General Peterson, I'm not going to tell any tales out of school, but, but you know, there's, there's been a lot of vigorous debate um, amongst AGs, particularly on opioids. And, um, uh, you know, people legitimately have different points of view on how we prosecute these cases and investigations. And, you know, as we've been working through it, um, you know, I, I've been able to team up with uh, AGs from Florida, Ohio, um, Georgia, all three of them Republicans, three big Republican states, which is helpful that they're big states. Um, but we had a similar point of view. And um, I, I don't think that my point of view would have had the same currency among AGs if I wasn't aligned with Florida, Georgia, and Ohio, but it made a huge difference. And they had my back, I had their back, and, and um, we, you know, people paid attention and I think we were able to advance our arguments and, and, and others hurt us. So that happens every day, by the way. I mean, there are just so many ways in which we team up in different combinations. Um, and I, I, frankly, I, I find it hard to do our work otherwise if we didn't have access to each other in that way. Yeah, I, I echo what General Tong says. I, you know, the thing is that particularly in the area of consumer protection and antitrust, um, there's so many areas of common ground. I mean, we certainly have our different worldviews on certain uh, political matters, but what I have found is so many um, of the AGs understand that we're much stronger together, and NAG plays a big part of that uh, in coordinating, for example, letters or amicus. Um, and so that I th well, I've been impressed in the six plus years that I've been in office of um, how we've been able to maintain those relationships and and be far more effective doing it in a bipartisan way. Because, you know, if you start receiving the letters just from a group of Republicans or just from a group of Democrat AGs, then it just emphasizes the fact that it's more political than maybe legal. And the thing is that so many of the AGs that we work with uh, are professionals and understand the importance of the legal principle involved, and that makes it easier. And we understand that it affects uh, all of our citizens, particularly the ones we've talked about today in healthcare, uh, we're much stronger to get together. And I just appreciate the professionalism of uh, my peers in the AG world, understanding that and saying, let's not, let's not uh, create division on areas that we really need unity. And that's why working with William and others has been, uh, I think, more effective, far more effective. And, and it takes work. And I think some people have forgotten 
you know, in, in some quarters of society and government, right? How to do that work. And I, I, I always want to share this story. So I hope you'll indulge me. So I'm a freshman attorney general in General Landry of Louisiana. And General Landry and I are pretty far apart on a lot of political issues. But he, he had a presidential initiative in Lafayette, Louisiana, his hometown. And so I went and uh, I said to General Landry, you know, would love to, you know, um, love to get out on the town with you and, and see Lafayette. And he said, well, why don't we do some press together? And I think he just threw that out to see if I would bite. And I said, sure. And, and we actually, we got up in the morning and we did four local TV stations together talking about his presidential initiative. But he had me meet at a biscuit joint at 5.45 in the morning in Lafayette, Louisiana. I think he was testing me. He's like, is this boy from Connecticut, you know, how's he gonna do it at a biscuit joint at 5.45? So his troopers are there, it's just him and me. We go in, he knows the owner, right? And and you can smell the biscuits and it's time to order and he gets his regular and it's it's my turn. And I And I think he was prepared for me to order like, the spinach and egg white hold the biscuit, right? Right? But I knew this was the moment of truth. So I look at the menu and I said, I'll have the fried pork and gravy biscuit, please. (laughs) And he was like, yes. The bond was created. The bond was sealed right there over fried pork and gravy. Yeah, brings people together. I can't match it with such a menu, but, it's it's kind of funny you mention that because uh, one of the bonding uh, topics for uh, myself and former Connecticut AG uh, Jepson was uh, we started talking about smoking uh, and different uh, cooking techniques, and he was showing me his uh, yeah. his his smoker and his setup in Connecticut, and uh, we had a good talk about uh, what we enjoy smoking. Uh, I should make it clear, these are meats that we're smoking. Uh, (laughs) But it's always created that bond with uh, George ever since I've seen him talking about what new menus we're looking at. Well, I appreciate both of you sharing those stories because it does it also puts sort of a human touch to the role of the, of the AGs uh, in our in our country. You work together, you're individuals who form friendships and bonds and I think that we've talked like we've talked about here today it helps you do your job better. Your you, those those lines of communication when they're open, you can partner and you can and work together. So I appreciate you sharing both those stories and and just all of your insights with our listeners today. And uh, thank you for all the work you do with NAG. Thank you, Allison. Thanks, Allison. Thank you both. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The People's Lawyer. We look forward to bringing you additional insights about the nonpartisan work of America's 56 state and territory attorneys general in future episodes. In the meantime, you can learn more at naag.org or email podcast at nag.org.